Chapter Twenty Seven of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter Twenty Seven. Having finished her letter to Colonel Mordaunt and Berrendale, she again prepared to write to her mother. A few transient fears overcoming every now and then those hopes of success in her application, which till she took up her pen she had so warmly encouraged. Alas, little did she know how erroneously for years she had judged of mrs mowbray little did she suspect that her mother had long forgiven her had pined after her had sought though in vain to procure intelligence of her and was then wearing away her existence in solitary woe a prey to self-reproach and to the corroding fear that her daughter made desperate by her renunciation of her had on the death of glenmurray plunged into a life of shame or sunk broken-hearted into the grave for not one of Adeline's letters had ever reached Mrs. Mowbray, and the mother and the daughter had both been the victims of female treachery and jealousy. Mrs. Mowbray, as soon as she had parted with Adeline for the last time, had dismissed all her old servants, the witness of her sorrows and disgrace, and retired to her estate in Cumberland, an estate where Adeline had first seen the light, and where Mrs. Mowbray had first experienced the transports of a mother this spot was therefore ill-calculated to banish adeline from her mother's thoughts and to continue her exclusion from her affections on the contrary her image haunted mrs mowbray whithersoever she went she still saw her in an attitude of supplication she still heard the plaintive accents of her voice and often did she exclaim my child my child wretch that i am must i never never see thee more these ideas increased to so painful a degree that finding her solitude insupportable she invited an orphan relative in narrow circumstances to take up her abode with her this young woman whose ruling passion was avarice and whose greatest talent was cunning resolved to spare no pains to keep the situation which she had gained even to the exclusion of adeline should mrs mowbray be weak enough to receive her again she therefore intercepted all the letters which were in her or like Adeline's handwriting, and having learned to imitate Miss Mowbray's, she enclosed them in a blank cover to Adeline, who, thinking the direction was written in her mother's hand, desisted, as the artful girl expected she would do, from what appeared to her hopeless application, and she exulted in her contrivance. When Mrs. Mowbray, on seeing in a magazine that Glenmurray was dead, full a year after his decease, bursting into a passion of tears, protested that she would instantly invite Adeline to her house. Yes, cried she, I can do so without infringement of my oath. She is disgraced in the eye of the world by her connection with Glenmurray, and she is wretched in love, nay, more so perhaps, than I have been, and I can, I will invite her to lose the remembrance of her misfortunes in my love. Thus did her ardent wish to be reunited to Adeline deceive her conscience, for by the phrase wretched in love she meant forsaken by the object of her attachment and that adeline had not been therefore her oath remained in full force against her but where could she seek adeline dr norbury could perhaps give her this information and to him she resolved to write though he had cast her from his acquaintance but her pride as she said fell with her fortunes and she scrupled not to humble herself before the zealous friend of her daughter but this letter would never have reached him had not her treacherous relation been ill at the time when it was written dr norbury had recovered the illness of which adeline supposed him to have died but as her letter to him 
to which she received no answer, alluded to the money transaction between her and Mrs. Norberry, and as commented on the insulting expressions in Mrs. Norberry's note, the lady thought proper to suppress the second letter as well as the first. And when the doctor, on his recovery, earnestly demanded to know whether any intelligence had been received of Miss Mowbray, Mrs. Norberry, with pretended reluctance, told him that she had written to him in great distress, while he was delirious to borrow money, that she had sent her ten pounds which Adeline had returned, reproaching her for her parsimony, and saying that she had found a friend who would not suffer her to want. But did you tell her that you thought me in great danger? I did. Why, zounds, woman, did she not, after that, write to know how I was? Never. Devil take me if I could have thought it of her, answered the doctor, who would not but believe this story for the sake of his own peace, as it was the less destructive to his happiness to think Adeline in fault than his wife or children guilty of profligate falsehood. He therefore, with a deep sigh, begged Adeline's name might never be mentioned to him again, and though he secretly wished to hear of her welfare, he no longer made her the subject of conversation. But Mrs. Mowbray's letter recalled her powerfully both to his memory and affections, while, with many a deep-drawn sigh, he regretted that he had no possible means of discovering where she was, and with a heavy heart he wrote the following letter, which Miss Woodville, Mrs. Mowbray's relation, having first contrived to open and read it, ventured to give into her hands, as it contained no satisfactory information concerning Adeline. I look on the separation of my mother and me in this world to be eternal, said the poor dear lost Adeline to me, the last time we met. You do, replied I, then poor devil, how miserable will your mother be when her present resentment subsides? Well, well, when that time comes, I may perhaps see her again, added I, with a queer something rising in my throat as I said it, and your poor girl blessed me for the kind intention. Pshaw, I have blotted the paper. At my years it is a shame to be so watery-eyed. Well, the time above mentioned is come. You are miserable, you are repentant, and you ask me to forget and forgive. I do forget, I do forgive. Some time or other, too, I will tell you so in person, and were the lost Adeline to know that I did so, she would bless me for the act, as she did before for the intention. But alas, where she is, what she is, I know not, and have not any means of knowing. To say the truth, her conduct to me and mine has been devilish odd, not to say wrong. But poor thing, she is either dead or miserable, and I forgive her. So I do you, as I said before, and the Lord give you all the consolation which you so greatly need. Yours once more, in true kindness of spirit, James Norbury. This letter made Mrs. Mowbray's wounds bleed afresh, at the same time that it destroyed all our expectations of finding Adeline, and the only hope that remained to cheer her was that she might perhaps, if yet alive, write sooner or later to implore forgiveness. But month after month elapsed, and no tidings of Adeline reached her despairing mother. She then put an advertisement in the paper, so worded that Adeline, had she seen it, must have known to whom it alluded, but it never met her eyes, and Mrs. Mowbray gave herself up to almost dissolute despair. When accident introduced her to a new acquaintance, whose example taught her patience, and whose soothing benevolence bade her hopes for happier days. One day, as Mrs. Mowbray, regardless of a heavy shower, 
and lost in melancholy reflections, was walking with irregular steps on the road to Penrith, with an unopened umbrella in her hand, she suddenly raised her eyes from the ground, and beheld a Quaker lady pursued by an overdriven bullock, and unable any longer to make any effort to escape its fury. At this critical moment Mrs. Mowbray, from a sort of irresistible impulse, as fortunate in its effects as presence of mind, yet scarcely perhaps to be denominated such, suddenly opened her umbrella, and approaching the animal, brandished it before his eyes. Alarmed at this unusual appearance, he turned hastily and ran towards the town, where she saw that he was immediately met and secured. "'Thou hast doubtless saved my life,' said the Quaker, grasping Mrs. Mowbray's hand, with an emotion she vainly tried to suppress, and I pray God to bless thine. Mrs. Mowbray returned the pressure of her hand, and burst into tears, overcome with joy for having saved a fellow-creature's life, with terror which she was now at leisure to feel for the danger to which she had herself been exposed, and with mournful emotion from the consciousness how much she needed the blessing which the grateful Quaker invoked on her head. Thou tremblest even more than I do, observed the lady, smiling, but seeming ready to faint. I believe we had better, both of us, sit down on the bank, but it is so wet that perhaps we had better endeavor to reach my house, which is only at the end of yon field. Mrs. Mowbray bowed her assent, and supporting each other, they at length arrived at a neat white house, to which the Quaker cordially bade her welcome. It was but this morning, said Mrs. Mowbray, struggling for utterance, that I called upon death to relieve me from an existence at once wretched and useless. Here she paused, and her new acquaintance, cordially pressing her hand, waited for the conclusion of her speech. But now, continued Mrs. Mowbray, I revoke and repent my idle and vicious impatience of life. I have saved your life, and something like enjoyment now seems to enliven mine. I suspect, replied the lady, that thou hast known deep affliction, and I rejoice that at this moment, and in so providential a manner, I have been introduced to thy acquaintance, for I too have known sorrow, and the mourner knows how to speak comfort to the heart of the mourner. My name is Rachel Pemberton, and I know that when I know thy name and thy story, thou wilt allow me to devote to thy comfort some hours of the existence which thou hast preserved. She then hastily withdrew to pour forth in solitary prayer the breathings of devout gratitude, while Mrs. Mowbray, having communed with her own thoughts, felt a glow of unwonted satisfaction steal over her mind, and by the time Mrs. Pemberton returned, she was able to meet her with calmness and cheerfulness. Thou knowest my name, said Mrs. Pemberton as she entered, seating herself by Mrs. Mowbray, but I have yet to learn thine. My name is Mowbray she replied, sighing deeply. Mowbray? The lady of Rose Valley and Gloucestershire, And the mother of Adeline Mowbray? exclaimed Mrs. Pemberton. What of Adeline Mowbray? What of my child? cried Mrs. Mowbray, seizing Mrs. Pemberton's hand. Blessed woman, tell me, do you indeed know her? Can you tell me where to find her? I will tell thee all that I know of her, replied Mrs. Pemberton, in a faltering voice. But thy emotion overpowers me. I... I was once a mother, and I can feel for thee. She then turned away her head to conceal a starting tear, while Mrs. Mowbray, in coherent eagerness, repeated her questions, and tremblingly awaited her answer. Is she well? Is she happy? But say that, exclaimed, sobbing as she spoke. She was well and contented when I last heard from her, replied Mrs. Pemberton calmly. Heard from her? 
then she writes to you oh blessed blessed woman show me her letters and tell me only that she has forgiven me for all my unkindness to her as she said this mrs mowbray threw her arms around mrs pemberton and sunk half fainting on her shoulder i will tell thee all that has ever passed between us if thou wilt be composed gravely answered mrs pemberton but this violent expression of thy feelings is unseemly and detrimental well well i will be calm said mrs mowbray and mrs pemberton began to relate the interview which she had with adeline at richmond how long ago did this take place eagerly interrupted mrs mowbray full six years oh god she exclaimed impatiently six years by this time then she may be dead she may thou art incorrigible i fear said mrs pemberton but thou art afflicted and i will bear with thy impatience sit down again and attend to me and thou wilt hear much later intelligence of thy daughter how late asked mrs pemberton with frantic eagerness and mrs pemberton overcome with the manner in which she spoke could scarcely falter out within a twelvemonth i have heard of her within a twelvemonth joyfully cried mrs mowbray but recollecting herself she added mournfully but in that time what what may not have happened i know not what to do with thee nor for thee observed mrs pemberton but do try i beseech thee to hear me patiently mrs mowbray then reseated herself and mrs pemberton informed her of adeline's premature confinement at richmond of her distress on glenmurray's death and of her having witnessed it ah you acted a mother's part you did what i ought to have done cried mrs mowbray bursting into tears but go on i will be patient yet that was impossible for when she heard of adeline's insanity her emotions became so strong that mrs pemberton alarmed for her life was obliged to ring for assistance when she recovered thou hast heard the worst now said mrs pemberton and all i have yet to say of thy child is satisfactory she then related the contents of adeline's first letter informing her of her marriage and mrs mowbray clasping her hands together blessed god that adeline was become a wife the next letter mrs pemberton read informed her that she was the mother of a fine girl a mother she exclaimed oh how i should like to see the child but at the same moment she recollected how bitterly she had reviled her when she saw her about to become a mother at their last meeting and torn with conflicting emotions she was again insensible to aught but her self-upbraidings well but where is she now where is the child and when did you hear from her last cried she i have not heard from her since hesitantly replied mrs pemberton but can't you write to her yes but in her last letter she said she was going to change her lodgings and would write again when she settled in a new habitation again mrs mowbray paced the room in wild and violent distress but her sorrows at length yielded to the gentle admonitions and soothings of mrs pemberton who bade her remember that when she rose in the morning she had not expected the happiness and consolation which she had met with that day and that a short time might bring forth still greater comfort for said mrs pemberton i can write to the house where she formerly lodged and perhaps the person who keeps it can give us intelligence of her on hearing this mrs mowbray became more composed and diverted her sorrow by a thousand fond inquiries concerning adeline which none but a mother could make and none but a mother listened to with patience while this conversation was going on a knock at the door was heard and miss woodville entered the room in great emotion for she had heard on the road that a mad bullock had attacked a lady 
and also that mrs mowbray scarcely able to walk had been led into the white house in the field by the roadside miss woodville was certainly as much alarmed as she pretended to be but there was a somewhat in the expression of her alarm which though it gratified mrs mowbray was displeasing to the more penetrating mrs pemberton she could not indeed guess that miss woodville's alarm sprung merely from apprehension lest mrs mowbray should die before she had provided for her in her will yet notwithstanding she felt that her expressions of concern and anxiety had no resemblance to those of real affection and in spite of her habitual candor she beheld miss woodville with distrust but this feeling was considerably increased on observing that when mrs mowbray exultingly introduced her not only as the lady whose life she had been the means of preserving but as the friend and correspondent of her daughter she evidently changed color and in spite of her habitual plausibility could not utter a single coherent sentence of pleasure or congratulation and it was also evident that being conscious of mrs pemberton's regarding her with a scrutinizing eye she was not easy till on pretence of mrs mowbray's requiring rest after her alarm she had prevailed on her to return home but she could not prevent the new friends from parting with eager assurances of meeting again and again and it was agreed between them that mrs pemberton should spend the next day at the lawn mrs pemberton who is thus again introduced to the notice of my readers had been as well as mrs mowbray's the pupil of adversity she had been born and educated in fashionable life and she united to a very lovely face and elegant form very feminine grace and accomplishment when she was only eighteen mr pemberton a young and gay quaker fell in love with her and having inspired her with a mutual passion he married her notwithstanding the difference of their religious opinions and the displeasure of his friends he was consequently disowned by the society but being weaned by the happiness which he found at home from those public amusements which had first lured him from the strict habits of his sect he was soon desirous of being again admitted a member of it and in process of time he was once more received into it while his amiable wife having no wish beyond her domestic circle and being disposed to think her husband's opinions right became in time a convert to the same profession of faith and exhibited in her manners the rare union of the easy elegance of a woman of the world with the rigid decorum and unadorned dress of a strict quaker but in the midst of her happiness and whilst looking forward to a long continuance of it a fever caught in visiting the sick-bed of a cottager carried off her husband and next two lovely children and mrs pemberton would have sunk under the stroke but for the watchful care and affectionate attentions of the friend of her youth who resided near her and who in time prevailed on her to receive with becoming fortitude and resignation the trials which she was appointed to undergo during this season of affliction as we have before stated she became a teacher in the quakers society but at the time of her meeting adeline at richmond she had been called from the duties of her public profession to watch over the declining health of her friend and consoler and to accompany her to lisbon there during four long years she bent over her sick couch now elated with hope and now sunk into despondence when at the beginning of the fifth year her friend died in her arms and she returned to england resolved to pass her days 
except when engaged in the active duties of her profession on a little estate in cumberland bequeathed to her by her friend on her deathbed but ill health and various events had detained her in the west of england since her return and she had not long taken possession of her house near penrith when she became introduced in so singular a manner to mrs mowbray's acquaintance an acquaintance which would she hoped prove of essential service to them both and as soon as her guest departed mrs pemberton resolved to inquire what character mrs mowbray bore in the neighborhood and whether her virtues at all kept pace with her misfortunes her inquiries were answered in the most satisfactory manner as fortunately for mrs mowbray with the remembrance of her daughter had recurred to her that daughter's benevolent example she remembered the satisfaction which used to beam from adeline's countenance when she returned from her visits to the sick and the afflicted and she resolved to try whether those habits of charitable exertion which could increase the happiness of the young and light-hearted adeline might not have power to alleviate the sorrows of her own drooping age and broken joyless heart sweet uses of adversity she who while the child of prosperity was a romantic indolent theorist an inactive speculator a proud a proud contemner of the dictates of sober experience and a neglecter of the practical benevolence which can in days produce more benefit to others than theories and theorists can accompany in years this erring woman awakened from her dreams and reveries of habits of useful exertion by the stimulating touch of affliction has become the visitor of the sick the consoler of the sorrowful the parent of the fatherless while virtuous industry looked up to her with hope and her name like that of adeline in happier days was pronounced with prayers and blessings but alas she felt that blessing could reach her only in the shape of her lost child and though she was conscious of being useful to others though she had the satisfaction of knowing that she had but the day before been the means of preserving a valuable life she met mrs pemberton when she arrived at the lawn with a countenance of fixed melancholy and was at first disposed to expect but little success from the project of writing to adeline's former lodgings in order to inquire the truth was that miss woodville had artfully insinuated the improbability of such an inquiry succeeding and though mrs mowbray had angrily asserted her hopes when miss woodville provokingly asserted her fears the treacherous girl's insinuations had sunk deeply into her mind and mrs pemberton saw with pain and wonder an effect produced of which the cause was wholly unseen but she at length succeeded in awakening mrs mowbray's hopes and in a letter written by mrs pemberton to the mistress of the house whence adeline formerly dated she enclosed one to her daughter glowing with maternal tenderness and calculated to speak peace to her sorrows these letters were sent as soon as written to the post by mrs mowbray's footman but miss woodville contrived to meet him near the post-office and telling him she would put the letter in the receiver she gave him a commission to call at a shop in penrath for her at which she had not time to call herself thus was another scheme for restoring adeline to her afflicted mother frustrated by the treachery of this interested woman who while mrs pemberton and mrs mowbray looked anxiously forward to the receipt of an answer from london triumphed with malignant pleasure in the success of her artifice but spite of herself she feared mrs pemberton and was not at all pleased to find that till the answer from london would arrive 
that lady would remain at the lawn she contrived however to be as little in her presence as possible for contrary to mrs pemberton's usual habits she felt a distrust of miss woodville which her intelligent eye could not help expressing and which consequently alarmed the conscious heart of the culprit being left therefore by miss woodville's fears alone with mrs mowbray she drew from her at different times ample details of adeline's childhood and the method which mrs mowbray had pursued in her education ah tis i suspected interrupted mrs pemberton during one of these conversations thy daughter's faults originated in thee her education was cruelly defective no replied mrs mowbray with an almost angry eagerness whatever my errors as a mother have been and for the rash marriage which i made i own myself culpable in the highest degree i am sure that i paid the greatest attention to my daughter's education if you were but to see the voluminous manuscript on the subject which i wrote for her improvement but where was thy daughter and how was she employed during the time that thou wert writing a book by which to educate her mrs mowbray was silent she recalled that while she was gratifying her own vanity in composing her system of education adeline was almost banished her presence and but for the humble instruction of her grandmother would at the age of fifteen have run a great risk of being both an ignorant and useless being forgive me friend mowbray resumed mrs pemberton aware in some measure of what was passing in mrs mowbray's mind forgive me if i venture to observe that till of late years a thick curtain of self-love seems to have been dropped between thy heart and maternal affection it is now and now only that thou hast learned to feel like a true and affectionate mother perhaps you are right replied mrs mowbray mournfully still i always meant well and hoped that my studies would conduce in the benefit of my child so they might perhaps to that of thy second third or fourth child hadst thou been possessed of so many but in the meanwhile thy first-born must have been fatally neglected a child's education begins almost from the hour of its birth and the mother who understands her task knows that the circumstances which every mother calls forth are the tools with which she is to work in order to fashion her child's mind and character what would you think of the farmer who was to let his fields lie fallow for years while he was employed in contriving a method for cultivating land to increase his gains tenfold but i did not suffer adeline's mind to lie fallow i allowed her to read and i directed her studies thou didst so but what were those studies and didst thou acquaint thyself with the deductions which her quick mind formed from them no thou didst not as parents should do inquire into the impressions made on thy daughter's mind by the books which she perused prompt to feel and hasty to decide as adeline was how necessary was to her the warning voice of judgment and experience but how could i imagine that a girl so young should dare to act whatever her opinions might be in open defiance of the opinions of the world but she had not lived in the world therefore scarcely knew how repugnant it to her opinions were nor as she did not mix in general society could she care sufficiently for its good opinion to be willing to act contrary to her own ideas of right rather than forfeit it besides thou ownest that thou didst openly profess admiration for the sentiments which she adopted nor till they were confirmed irrevocably hers didst thou declare that to act up to them was in thy opinion vicious and then it was too late 
she thought thy timidity and not thy wisdom spoke and she set thee the virtuous example of acting up to the dictates of conscience but adeline and thou are both the pupils of affliction and experience and i trust that all your errors repented of you will meet once more to expatiate your past follies by your future conduct i hope so too meekly replied mrs mowbray whose pride had been completely subdued by self-upbraidings and distress oh when when will an answer arrive from london End of chapter twenty seven recording by pam moscato